Welcome to the Bard and Bible, a conversational devotional about scripture, life, and ministry from the perspective of a tabletop missionary still trying to figure out what those words actually mean when you string them together. There's a seat by the fire over there, and it looks like things are just about to get started. Tonight's tale, By the Numbers. Hello, my friends. Come in, come in. Welcome to the Bard and Bible. I'm your resident dwarf bard, Mike Perna, and do you have a moment for a quick survey? No, no, stop. Don't turn around. The cold cobbles and brigands in dark alleys can't be worse than a question or two. Can it? Have no fear. It won't take long. You'll have your feet up by the fire in no time. We've just been trying to figure out how we can improve things here at the Bard and Bible. So, we're doing a bit of research on our clientele. Nothing too pressing, mind you. Just a bit of info that might help us get to know you so we can better serve you. Now, question one. Who is your father, and what does he do? I'd love to tell you that there are happy reasons why I'm pretty much about a week, maybe week and a half late putting this up, or at least a week and a half later than I wanted it to be. Uh, there aren't. Uh, I'm still neck deep in craziness and insanity as far as scheduling and emotional baggage and family trauma and all the assorted shenanigans that have kept me from Game Store Profits entirely. I will get back, don't get me wrong. It's just going to be a while more. Uh, and why this episode got late. In fact, all that stuff kind of boils down to why I'm not jumping back to the New Testament this time. I generally try to to make things work out that way. So I'm not entirely in the Old Testament or entirely in the New Testament. If I'm doing a series, I want to try and jump back and forth a little bit to try and, one, just mix things up a little, but also because I fully believe that to deny either, to be entirely focused on the New Testament and forsaken the Old Testament, or to be entirely drenched in the Old Testament to the disregard of the new, in either one of those cases, you're doing a disservice to the text as a whole. So I kind of want to jump around, and I was gonna. I actually had a couple of different ones, and we will get there. I will talk about Third John. I will talk about Titus. But as I was getting ready and I was really trying to figure out where my own head was at, I, I kept realizing that there was something that I wanted to do. There was one that was kind of jumping the line a little bit. And uh, I don't even know exactly how this is going to turn out. Now, I do my work. I have spent a lot of time in the book I'm going to talk about. I've kind of dug into a lot of the stories because this is different than other ones. Uh, I should reference, by the way, the fact that we're still very much into the Unread Tales series that we're doing uh, if you're new here, if this is the first one of these you're listening to, the past couple have been in this series, and pretty much the rest of the year will also be in it. This is my time to kind of look at books of the Bible that don't get a lot of screen time, as it were. Uh, they're not the ones that are going to be either going to be the, the people clamor for. This is not going to be the stuff that drives people to to sit their butts in pews and seats to to listen to the the amazing stories um nor is it going to be 
the kind of stuff that you see on posters and precious moments statuettes. These are the books that kind of are there. And so you might actually even be a little confused as to why this book is getting there, because this is one of the big five. This is one of the ones that opens up the Old Testament. This is numbers. And it's really easy to just kind of write it off as, oh yeah, everybody reads numbers. Everyone knows numbers. I mean, come on. It's again, it's the Pentateuch. It's, it's what you've got. You've got to read this. This is like the stuff right out of the Exodus. This is, this is important and I'll agree. But eventually by the time we're done here, I'm going to get you to a point that you're going to understand why I thought numbers needed to jump the line based on where I'm at right now. Uh, I also want you to realize that the reason Numbers is in this series, I knew Numbers was going to be in this series from the beginning, I just didn't realize it was going to be this episode when I started. Uh, numbers is a book, to me, that is really interesting, because a lot of these stories, I'm going to bring up a lot of them, because there's so many that I could draw forth here. Uh, there are a lot of stories in here that you might have heard, but, and I'm fully going to allow for the fact that this is anecdotal. When I talk about these stories, when I bring up kind of the, the stuff that is in numbers, a lot of the people I talk to have no idea it's in numbers. They know it's from the Bible because somebody told them. These are stories that have been brought up in one reason or another. And, and yeah, maybe they might have hit that story, but there's nothing about numbers that makes them go, oh, yes, clearly, that's in the book of numbers. Everyone knows that. Why would you not know that? And so I sat and kind of pondered over what story I was going to bring you. What what tale in this incredibly large book compared to the other ones? The other books that I've talked about in this series, I, in fact, literally the last one, I read the entire book. These have been short little snippets. This one significantly longer. So I could go through so much and I, I kind of want to break down some of the things that are in numbers just to point out these are in numbers. Uh, some of the things that, that you've heard of, probably heard of, uh, some of them more obvious than others. Uh, the Nazarite vow. Uh, this is the thing that Samson does. Paul puts himself under a Nazarite vow. This is the one that says, uh, all sorts of stuff about your length of hair, whether you can have alcohol, that sort of stuff. The first time you see the Nazarite vow, number six. Aaron's blessing is also in number six. And if you're wondering what Aaron's blessing is, you've probably at some point or another been to a church. I know I've been to multiple churches that end the service every time with this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's in number six. Numbers nine is the first time we actually have the remembrance of the Passover. This is not the actual Passover itself, but the first remembrance of the Passover. One of the more interesting stories that I, I love is Numbers 11, which is basically the people get sick and tired of, of having to scrimp and save and to, to, to basically be right above the edge of starving. And they say, God, please give us meat, give us meat. And God says, sure, I'll send you quail. You, they eat the quail and they all get sick. 
<laughs> I I love that because it fits so much with the the rest of the narrative of the Exodus uh, across multiple books. It's this idea that the people complain. God says, "Fine, I'll give you what you want," and it's it ends horribly. <laughs> uh, Numbers thirteen is a story that pretty much everybody knows. The spies sent into Canaan. It's in Numbers. Did you know that? I'm pretty sure somebody listening didn't know that. Uh, one of the more interesting discussions, if you've ever had the idea of what does prayer do? Does prayer change God? Does God change his mind? That's Numbers 14 when Moses intercedes for the people and God says, because of what you said, I will not, you know, smite them. Uh, Moses striking the rock to get water? That's Numbers 20. Did you know that? Did you know that was in Numbers? Because a lot of people don't. <laughs> this, These are the stories that people talk about. These are the stories that, that people love. I'm going to tell you the stories also that people often don't know. Uh, I have to talk about one. Uh, and if you're the kind of guy who reads the Bible both with an incredible amount of reverence, but also loves just the occasional silliness and ridiculousness of the Bible because it's in there. Um, and I got to say it because it's in most of the Bibles I've seen Balaam's ass. Uh, for those of you of a small age who are snickering, uh, I'm not saying a dirty word there. It's his donkey. Um, I love this story. Ba uh, Balaam's donkey. I'll just make it nice for everyone. Uh, Balaam's donkey is in Numbers 22 when literally Balaam is sent out to, to speak ill and speak curses upon the people of Israel. And God literally uses the donkey. The donkey just turns around and says, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> I mean, obviously that's my paraphrase, but I love that. That's Numbers 22. One of the more ridiculous kind of create like i love when just insane things happen in the bible because it's really easy for us to look at some of the more miraculous or awe-inspiring stuff and kind of come up with any manner of of i don't know excuse like like it kind of the the oh yeah i can see that happening um in number 16 I know I'm backtracking, but I can't help it. Um, in number 16, uh, you have the earth swallowing up the sons of Korah. Um, that whole section is insane. It involves fire coming out of censers. It involves the earth opening up and swallowing people whole. Um, yeah, check that stuff out. It's crazy. And... Another one, another one that I love, but not a lot of people understand, and even fewer of them understand is in numbers, is the bronze serpent. When uh, there are basically, the camp is just overrun with these poisonous snakes, and, and they basically tell people, okay, what you're going to do is we're going to make a serpent out of bronze. Uh, it looks like something out of Conan. I'm just telling you, if you see this symbol and the way it's described and the way it's it's often pictured, it looks like something out of the Conan movies. And they're like, okay, you're going to make this, this giant bronze serpent and you're going to put it up on a pole. And anybody who looks at the, at the, the, the serpent that you fashioned is going to be okay. But anybody who doesn't is going to die. This is in your Bible in Numbers 21. And then the thing that – this is a great story. 
This isn't as as swanky as Earth swallowing people up or crazy bronze fiery serpents. Oh yeah, by the way, they're fiery, uh, and and all that stuff. This isn't as as swank as all that, but something that is in numbers and it's numbers thirty five uh, that I think is really really awesome, and it's something that has a lot of really interesting theological ramifications later on, not only later on in the Old Testament, but also later on, even to the New Testament, is the idea of the cities of refuge, where people who have, have done terrible things, now, it's if you look at, at that section, it's really it's really broken down into a lot of different stuff. Um, it's like, you if you do this accidentally, but if you do this intentionally, the cities of refuge don't aren't for you, like, you're, you need to be punished, but if you do this accidentally and somebody dies, you go to the cities of refuge and you seek penance, it's, it's basically the place to go when you've screwed up and you just want to, to make amends, that you want to avoid the, the, the death penalty, as it were. It's, it's, there, and there are just this whole litany of cities established where people can go to find reprieve. I love the cities of refuge. And, and you're probably wondering, Oh, is that, that, that sounds like the kind of thing that Mike's going to talk about that. That sounds like the kind of thing that unread tales need to be brought up about. Um, any of these things are things I could have talked about either because of their, the, the nature of how they're, they're unread or the nature of, Hey, did you realize this was in numbers? Um, I could have gone to any of these. But I went to none of them because as cool as these are and as important it is to realize that this is in the book of numbers and it's not any of the other books that people remember off the top of their head. Uh, I wanted to look at possibly the most boring portion of the book of numbers. I wanted to look at the kind of stuff that causes this book to be named the book of numbers. I wanted to look at the census that is taken in chapter one and taken in chapter 26. And I could, you know, don't, don't think that you're going to see a, a huge breakdown of, of what this means. And, and, oh my goodness, they didn't do the sons in birth order. They did it in a different order. And, and it, Look, I'm going to touch on some of the weird kind of craziness in this because I can't talk about this section and not talk about that stuff. There's some interesting bits of stuff about these numbers and there's some interesting bits of stuff as to why this book seems incredibly, incredibly focused on who does what where and who's with which tribe and how many oxen were here and how many this and that. And this book is all about that. Even in the other stories, even in the stuff, even the stories about guys being swallowed up whole, there's whole sections of, of, and there were 250 leaders from this place and this, this, and, and they stood with this and there's all sorts of that stuff. Even in the most crazy, insane stories in this book, it's all about numbers. And I, I know, because I do this myself, uh, I've spent a lot of time studying the Bible, both on my own and for class and for academic pursuits. I've spent a lot of time 
digging into this stuff, and I'm going to tell you that it's really easy for me to just completely just disregard these. It's a census. It literally is a breakdown of numbers. And that's just the point. Allow me to get there for you. Uh, the first one is Numbers 1. It's the beginning. It's it's literally God saying, Hey, all you people who I have now saved out of Egypt, I want you to take a head count. I want you to know how many of who are coming with us. And in, in and of itself, that right there is fascinating to me. This is not like Moses or Aaron or the people saying, hey, maybe we should figure out who's what. This is God saying, hey, gather up these people. I want to know who you are. God commanded this census, and not only does he command it, he goes into really, really specific detail about who's involved. Um, I'm going to start in verse 5. I just bear with me. There's going to be a lot of this that I'm not going to read too much from the text in this one. This is not going to be one of those ones where I spend a large amount of time in the text because if I do, you might drift off to sleep. And some of you might be listening to this as you're driving. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to be the one responsible for causing accidents. But I do want to read this to just to drive home the fact that God cares intimately about this process, especially in this, this first census. So God has basically said, all right, you need to get these people. And in verse five, he says, and these are the names of the men who shall assist you from Reuben, Elizur, the son of Shadu, Shad Have you ever stumbled on Old Testament names? I do a lot. And I'm not going to edit that out because I want you to know that you're not alone in this. Uh, this is the conversational devotional after all. Uh, I want you to know that it's totally okay to be somebody who doesn't understand how to pronounce all this stuff. Uh, son of Shadur, from Simeon, Shalumiel, the son of Zerishadai, from Judah, Nashon. Son, I'm, I'm just going to stop. This is what it is. This is what numbers is. It is, okay, this is who's going to be there. It's so-and-so, from so-and-so's son, from this tribe and that tribe. Literally, the I've often said here, and I will say in, in pretty much every time I talk about the Bible, that anytime you see a pattern or anytime you see repetition, it, it means something. And so as he breaks down each and every one of the tribes, he says, uh, let's just talk about Reuben in verse 20. The people of Reuben, Israel's firstborn, their generations, by their clans, by their father's houses, according to the number of the names, head by head, every male from 20 years old and upward, all who were able to go to war. Those listed of the tribe of Reuben were 46,500. That section that from their clans from their fathers from you know every man who's over 20 years and older who's fit to go to war all that stuff is repeated every time this is a big deal this is an important this is to say literally everybody who's set to fight everyone who's about ready to go to war everyone who if the bad stuff happens on this trip these are the people we're going for these are the ones counted and I, I did do a little bit of interesting stuff about the numbers because 
if you total up all the numbers of these people, there's like millions of people just wandering through the desert. And I don't think that's accurate. Uh, there's a lot of different discussion about what, how these numbers actually work out because it's not like they're, they're written in Arabic numerals here. It's words. And one of the words to describe that is translated here as thousand, uh, could be all sorts of different things. It could be the number of clans. It could be, uh, uh, it was another breakdown. It was like like groups of people. Really, it's hard to say specifically for us reading it today exactly how many people it could be. Because like it could be, you know, thousands of people or it could be 46 clans plus 500 something people. Uh, what's really interesting to me here is that I'm going to tell you that God is intimately concerned about these numbers but the actual number to us reading it doesn't matter to them reading it. It would make a huge impact, but to us reading it, the literal number, I don't think matters that much. I am extrapolating here and it's why this one may or may not be as long as usual, uh, because I'm, ex I'm going to extrapolate a lot from this. The reason why I jumped numbers up, the reason why I wanted to talk to you about numbers now, as opposed to at some other point in this series, is because of the fact that I've been in this this slump, that's been in this place where I, I don't get to do what I love, but instead have to spend a lot of, of my energy and my time muddling through, trying to figure out how to live. I'm extrapolating here to tell you that God cares intimately about all of these people. God is the one who calls this census. God is the one who wanted them counted. God is the one who wanted to know this. And it's, it's really funny to me because God already knows this, but he still called for it. And when God asks to be informed of something, when God throughout all of scripture goes over and over again about how he is omniscient. He knows everything. Not only does he know everything, but everything that is, was, or ever will be, or ever could be. That God, when he asks to know something, I'm intrigued. It causes me to ask, why does God ask to know this? Because he already does. And to me, the idea here is that he's basically saying to these people who he has saved, I know you. I know each one of you. I have numbered you. And I know you. And I am carrying you through this. That I am with all of you. As I read through, I, I intended to read all of this. And I did. I read every number. I read every iteration of that lineage. that <laughs> the, the fathers and, and the... It, there's all sorts of, all, all that stuff. I read all of it. And as I read it, and as I thought about it, and as I, I contemplated what it meant, I, I just kept coming back to that. These people are known. And then it struck me. What's the second census about? See, this is the start. This is the, well, not the start start. The start start is in Exodus. 
But for the people who are on this journey, Numbers is the story of them going through the desert. Uh, one commentator I, I was reading about Numbers said that this is their instruction manual for their exodus. It's it's a history book primarily, but to the people that is act, are actually written to here, it's kind of an instruction manual of how you get through this desert. And I thought that was interesting because if that's the case, if if that's your goal, if your goal is to say this is how you live in a post-Egypt kind of world, what's the deal with the census? Then the timing of the second one is what got me. The timing of the second one is what made this important to me. Even now, long since separated from this stuff, long since... You know, I, my family is not tied to any of these people, so it's not my family, it's not my time, it's not my land. As I'm looking at, at why this was important enough, this information was important enough to be put into the Bible, I, I found myself going, the people are known by God, and those people failed. Again, I kind of brushed over it the spies sent to canaan that story that all of us know about but maybe not all of us realize is pretty early in the book of numbers in chapter 14 by the time we get to chapter 26 all but two of them are dead every one of these people in this census this original census in chapter one are dead. Save the two who said, God gave us this place. Why are we not going into it? And that knowledge gave the first census a lot more weight to me. It gave that first census the weight that says, yes, I know all of these people. I have had them counted. I have had their their family lineage drawn out before me i know them and i know it ends here these people don't get to go to the place that i'm sending them it is their children and their children's children that will get there the timing of the second census it's right as they're about ready to start entering the land. It's right when the 40 years is over. These are the children that get to cross that threshold. And in a lot of ways, this census mirrors that one in chapter one. It also is a census that is initiated by God. It is a census that is done by Moses and, well, as I said, Aaron is no longer with us, but it's his son, Eleazar. It is also a census of all the people of Israel from 20 years old and upward by their father's houses, all in Israel who are able to go to war. But there's, there's quite a bit of difference here. And... I want to just take one of the sections, specifically the one I just read previously. I'll read it again just because 
again, wording matters, and there's a lot of wording to get lost in. So I'll read the first part of Reuben from the census in chapter 1. I will then read the census of Reuben, taken from chapter 26. In chapter 1, starting in verse 20, the people of Reuben, Israel's firstborn, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, head by head, every male from twenty years old and upward, all who were able to go to war. Those listed of the tribe of Reuben were 46,500. In chapter 26, starting in verse 5, Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, the sons of Reuben, of Hanak, the clan of the Hanakites, of Palu, the clan of the Paluites, of Hezron, the clan of the Hezronites, of Carmi, the clan of the Carmites. These are the clans of the Reubenites, and those listed were 43,730. And the sons of Palu, Eliab, the son of Eliab, Nemuel, Dathan, and Abiram. These are the Dathan and Abiram, chose from the congregation, who contended against Moses and Aaron in the company of Korah, when they contended against the Lord, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah, when that company died, when their fire devoured 250 men, and they become a warning. But the sons of Korah did not die. Now, I don't have to point out the difference here. Uh, one, this really breaks down not just the sons of Reuben, it breaks down every clan involved in this now i don't know if all these clans the, the way they're broken down the way they're they're built are the exact same clans referenced in the census in chapter one where it's like all the clans but the thing that really set this apart to me in that regard is just this notion of in the first census it was the people who went to war, the sons of the fathers who were ready to go to war. These are the decision makers. These are the people whose, whose choices matter. These are the people whose choices are important. And these are the people who chose wrongly. This is a little bit of God saying, these are the people whose faith you put yourself in. In this second one, it names these people. <laughs> this isn't just, hey, there were a lot of people who were supposed to be in charge of you. This one broke it down a little bit. And I don't know if this is Moses and Eleazar kind of putting the weight on this, or, or if this is, no, God wants this broken down this way. The census is called for by God, but the actual methodology of this is why we're going to list all the clans here, I don't know who's got that going on. All I know is, is that this is basically saying this next generation, these people, remember who's in, in charge here. Yes, you are responsible for your clan. You are the ones who are, are supposed to make this right. By the way, let me tell you about Dathan and Abiram. Let me tell you about Korah. Because the other thing that has changed from this census to the last is that years 
of history, decades of wandering has happened between these two censuses. There is weight here. There is story here. And this isn't the only one that adds this cool, different kind of niche to it. I want to jump down a little bit. Um, I won't read from chapter one this time because there's really no need to, because chapter one is identical to reading about Reuben when I read about Joseph. However, in the second census, there's some weight to what happens here too. In verse 28 of chapter 26, the sons of Joseph, according to their clans, Manasseh and Ephraim, the sons of Manasseh, of Machir, the, the clan of the Machirites. And Machir was the father of Gilead, of Gilead, the clan of the Gileadites. These are the sons of Gilead, of Yezer, the clan of the Yezerites, of Helic, the clan of the Helicites, and Asriel, the clan of the Asrielites, and of Shechem, the clan of the Shechemites, and of Shemida, the clan of the Shemidites, and of Hefer, the clan of the Hepherites, or Hephrates. Again, don't worry about pronunciation, kids. We're all in this together. And here's the part that I really want to call to your attention. Now, Zelephahed, the son of Hefer, had no sons but daughters. And the names of the daughters of Zelephahed were Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Terza. These are the clans of Manasseh. And those listed were 52,700. The reason I want to call that is because the very next chapter is those daughters saying, we have rights to our father's property. We have the rights of inheritance because there is no son to claim it. In the very next chapter, this is them getting that right. This is them saying, by the way, don't overlook us just because our father only had daughters. We have every right to this. That's crazy! In, in the fact that we're reading this in the Old Testament, in the fact that we're reading this in the midst of the most patriarchal of patriarchal societies, this is the lady saying, by the way, you can't overlook us. We're here, and you have to deal with us. There's an entire chapter dedicated to these women, and I love that. And, and that might just be me, but at the same point, I, I remind you about why these censuses are important to me as I'm reading this. As I'm reading this as a guy, generations upon generations, and miles upon miles, and Gentile to my core, I'm reading this census. I'm reading this history and going, all these people are counted. All these people are known. Even these women, who, for all intents and purposes, it, as far as the 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 general sense of the day should be overlooked and no one should care and that clan should just disappear that clan should just be not cared about and no one knows about them sorry heifer had you know sorry zelof ahead you had no sons tough luck these women are still known they are known and they are named they are known they are named and in the very next chapter they are given their due. I said it before and I'll say it again. Constantly throughout the, the length of Barden Bible. 
Because at this core, this entire podcast is about the stories of Scripture. This is not just me doing exegetical, just rehashing of what I've been taught and what I've seen. This is not me doing word studies, though I do them. This is not me doing all that stuff and just giving that to you because I'm here to, to revel in the narrative of Scripture. And as a guy who revels in narrative, you'd think that I shouldn't care about all this stuff, but these census, they, they're full of this weight, this story. This is me, and I'll fully admit, this could just be me reading my own current state of things into the, the, the retelling of these, the people's lineage. But as somebody who finds himself wandering as somebody who finds himself fairly lost in the weeds, not lost in the most final sense of the term, but lost as in, I don't know where I'm going. I like the idea that God has an accounting, that I am Mike, the son of Rocco, the father of Noah. That my clan is known by God. That my family is counted. And I don't know if we would find ourselves in Census 1, the people who are trying to figure this out and don't do a great job of it. Or if we're in Census 2, the one where the people make their way triumphantly across the Jordan and into the promised land. I don't know. But at this point in my story, I'm thankful to be counted. It's why I look at the most boring, overlooked, quickly skimmed part of the book of numbers. And I want to make sure it gets read. I want to make sure that all of us know that we are counted. Because we are dwarf bards. We are not suboptimal. We are known. We are counted. We are named. And sometimes, that's all we need to keep moving. And I hope that I will see you again the next time we get together here at the Barton Bible. <laughs>